1968, the year Dr. King was assassinated, I was introduced to a ministry which may hold life and death significance for our nation on this World Communion Sunday as we celebrate the unity of the church and the call to ecumenical cooperation. Now at that time, I was enrolled in a clinical pastoral education program at the Medical College of Virginia. And each week we had assignments, what the, the mission would be for that week, what the activities would be. They had announced that next week we're going to be visiting the morgue. Now, I want to tell you something. I dread death. So I feigned inconvenience and misclass that day. I, I, I try when I can to avoid death. So next week, the next week I came back to class and they had assigned us to a visit for grand rounds with Dr. Lowry. He was the cardiologist who had performed the first heart transplant operations there at Medical College of Virginia. During the session, one of the class members asked him, Dr. Lowry, what is the condition of the donor in a heart transplant operation? Is the person actually dead, that is the donor of the heart? Dr. Lowry explained, in this hospital, we function on clinical definitions. We leave up to you theologians the metaphysical distinction of life and death. For an example, if there has been a massive accident and then the loss of major organ functions, we do certain prescribed diagnostic tests and if it turns out that upon review, even if the patient survived, there would be no longer a prospect for meaningful, purposeful human existence. We can then declare that person clinically dead and we are able to use that heart to sustain the life of another person. I immediately thought, well, here I am. I've already been caught by death again. I avoided it last week when they went to the morgue, but here it is. When there is no longer a prospect for meaningful, purposeful human existence, we can stamp that patient clinically dead. You know, I got to thinking to myself right then on the spot, 
Well, if that's the definition of death, I, living in a racist society, have had many experiences of situations where, upon examination, there is no prospect for meaningful, purposeful human existence. I've been around death most of my life. Turns out that that next week, I was called by a member of my church at St. John's Holy Church in Richmond, Virginia, Mother Watts. Hurry up, Pastor. Brother, Brother Miles Watts is, I think, I, I think he's dying. I rushed over, went upstairs. His eyes were set, hands cold, no breath. So I stepped back from the bed and I said, Mother Watts, I believe, I believe he's dead. She fastened her eyes on me and I could read her saying, if he's dead, don't just stand there, do something. <laughs> well, I don't know whether she actually knew it, but my last exegesis in New Testament at Union Seminary had been from a text that says, as you go, Proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the leper. Cast out demons. Even though that text included instructions to me. Cure the sick. Raise the dead. Does she know that I had done that exegesis? Does she know that that was part of my job description? Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to disappoint you, but I'll tell you what I did. I did not do the Oral Roberts thing. I called the medical examiner and in absolute candor, in the 65 years since I accepted my call to ministry, I confess that I have not had success in resuscitating dead bodies, not been so good at that. But during that episode, in 68, God had already placed in my consciousness that there is such a thing as prospects, no prospects 
or meaningful, purposeful human existence. And that's death. And God has also, around about that time, led me to the text that was read from Ezekiel, saying, now this is, this is what the ministry of raising the dead looks like. So that, and it says, cure the lepers, cure the sick, raise the dead, heal the leper. You don't have to back up. There, there is something that I want you to do even when you are in a situation that upon analysis there is no longer a prospect for meaningful, purposeful human existence. That's why on this World Communion Sunday I want to talk to you about one of those conditions. Brothers and sisters, racism. Mm -hmm. Racism, when you look at it, all the way back to capture on the shores of Africa, the ones jumped overboard during the Middle Passage, those beaten to death during slavery times, those hanging from trees, Jim Crow, Jim Crow Jr., police brutality, a knee on the neck, economic deprivation, vulnerability when COVID-19 comes. You ask me, have you ever seen situations with no prospect for meaningful, purposeful human existence? And I'll tell you, you bet I have. And I suspect you have too. So what are we going to do? What do we do about it? Do we back up from the bed like I did with Mother Watson and say, Mother Watts, looks like this is a deadly situation. Doesn't look like there's anything we can do to solve the problem of racism in our culture or civilization for that matter. Do we back from the bed and say, Mother, Mother Watts, that's beyond our pay grade. Mother Watts, we do not have the expertise either biblical or sociological analysis or critical theories. Mother Watts, we're sorry we arrived so late. You look, at, you look at our culture now, day by day, and, 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 and I get sleepy staying up watching what Rachel Meadow is talking about night after night after night after night. Oh, oh, oh. Death in the morning. Death all day long. With all that death, something must be wrong. And the question is, do you 
hear as I do God saying, stop sucking air through your teeth. Too late, too little. Join me, saith the Lord, in the ministry of raising the dead. As they said at Tinley Temple years ago, Charles A. Tinley had his people recognize we're in bad shape. What are we going to do? They formed what they called the Do Something Club. That's what it's about. Anybody wants to ask you, what did the preacher talk about? Said so the preachers this morning in Duke Chapel talked to people streaming and sitting in the audience and sitting in the choir stand. The preacher said, join the Do Something Club. Join the ministry of raising the dead. Racism is a lethal enterprise. Always has been, always is, and will continue to be unless, unless, um, oh, I must be aware that with the small crowd present today, I must speak so that my voice does not bounce back and forth from one gothic chamber to the other. What is this ministry of raising the dead? Well, according to the text, this is what happens. In the text, God, who had observed that God's people in Babylonian exile had already felt that they were so separated from the Holy Land, from the temple, from their people. They said, we are clean cut off. Our hope is lost. Our bones are dry. Now, I think that qualifies for a prospect or no prospect for meaningful, purposeful human existence. And God decides, I want to restore. Oh, if I seem a little agitated, it's my natural pattern when preaching anyway. But, but today, I'm really, I am really agitated because God sees our nation. Our bones are dry. Your bones are dry. You're not producing red blood corpuscles, and certain bones are not producing white blood corpuscles. And, and, and our hope is lost. That the, the reason so many people have joined the anger crowd in the nation is because they are saying, mm, our bones are dry. And, and there's not going to be a majority in the decades ahead. And if these black people get some power, I don't know what they're going to do to us. So, so we must block their vote. We must block their economic progress. We must block. We, we, must, we must send the Haitians back. We, 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 we. I think heaven hears America saying, tell the truth. There's very little prospect for meaningful, purposeful human existence. 
what are we going to do? Well, anyway, if you really pay attention to Ezekiel, you get the sense of what the ministry of raising the dead looks like. First of all, God takes the initiative. Oh, I keep watching and waiting for divine initiative. And sometimes it activates in my own spirit. A hand-to-hand partnership for restoration. Look what's happened. So God reaches out, takes Ezekiel's hand. I think one pastor said, sets him down. Make him sit down. Sit and look. Have you all been looking? Do you all see the death occasioned by racism as it exists in our culture today? Has God grabbed you by the hand and sat you down and said, just just look, look at it, listen at the news, listen at the legislations out of Texas or out of Florida, sometimes out of North Carolina, sometimes out of New York. Has God sat you down and said, look around, that ain't nothing but death. Look at it, that's death. And guess what? As the confession said this morning, Lord, we, we, we are perpetrators of that death. Or at least we are benefactors of it, beneficiaries. So when God has Ezekiel to sit for a while and look at all these bones, Then God takes Ezekiel by the hand. By the way, at the end of the service, I'm going to be asking you to join hands with the God who is determined to bring some restoration in this situation where there is no prospect for meaningful, purposeful healing. So so just practice with me, will you? Will you in case God reaches out for your hand, and I don't know whether it matters whether it's a right hand or a left hand, but will you raise one of your hands in case God wants you to be a part of this ministry of raising the dead? So here's what God says. Ezekiel. Prophesy to those bones. Say to them, Oh, America. Oh, America. Hear the word of the Lord. That was the first step then. Next he says, listen, Ezekiel. Even if they hear, but do not respond with a qualitative relationship, There's something else that's missing. There was no breath in them. Prophesy. Don't be scared. Don't don't be afraid. Prophesy to the spirit, to the ruach, to the wind. Prophesy. Oh, Holy Spirit, breathe upon these slain that they might live. And then one last thing he said to do. Take a stick. 
most, Dr. Lowry, most of the time we overlook this one, but he said, no, take a stick, the stick of Joseph and the stick of Judah, and put the sticks together, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Just put them together because I don't want my people divided up like that. So that's the, you got it? God takes you by the hand, has you to sit and look, and finally, whether it's economic theory or whether it's race theory, whether it's class theory, look until you can see, oh yeah, from what I can see, there is no prospect for meaningful, purposeful human existence here. And then to prophesy, get up every morning and prophesy, and then pull the sticks together. Symbolic prophetic action. It's kind of like putting black folks and white folks together in one family. Y'all do that. Now, I think they said I should talk 20 minutes. And my watch looks like it's getting close to that time, but I cannot risk your misunderstanding what this message is about. So, will you indulge me just long enough to read a description of this death in terms of racism? This is a poem I've written to make it clear. It's called A Conversation with Our Nation About Race. Is it true that an idea that's not true has enslaved many minds, causing them to see themselves as superior and others as inferior? This untruth creeps in almost everywhere. Indignities thrust upon residents of reservations, cruelty to brown children in border pens, black codes in public square, corporate boardroom banter when no one is paying attention. Is the concept of race a mythic, microbic, germ-like virus that invades subliminally? Is it an ideology that attaches itself to people of similar hues and attitudes and bribes them with irresistible benefits in exchange for conscienceless loyalty? No one recalls when it first began its vocation of domination or when it was too late to say, count me out, because by then it had become officially just how it is. Whatever it is, I'm talking about racism now, whatever it is, it produces falsehoods and fears, denial and guilt, regret and remorse, resentment and hate. Naming the disease makes people feel shame. Muted is racism all the same. This xenophobic monstrosity brings mayhem, mischief, murder, 
and brutality. When seduced by race, character is flawed. Some teach their children to embrace the fraud. Delusions spread. Prejudice gets stronger. Trusting relationships are no longer. Now that we see how false supremacy in creating slaves disfigured the free, such ugliness of inhumanity reveals the depth of our insanity. Now is high time to come to our senses. God's grace will pardon all past offenses. Repent, repair, resolve to make amends for racism and all its violent sins. Sharing our power, privilege, and pride for some folks may feel like suicide. But rather than risk eternal disgrace, put truth, justice, and kindness in place. An instinctual sense of mortality says when black lives matter, all can breathe free. The human family must protect this right, making our world more beautiful and bright. Lord, give us the courage to face what's real, to take the steps your love will reveal. Heal our brokenness and our bigotry. Make us a nation more pleasing to thee. You got it? That's death. That's no prospect for human existence. So, how do you close a sermon? How do you, how do you close a sermon? Well, well, first of all, you, you ask people, people, do you hear God inviting you to the ministry of doing something about that? Do you, do you hear God saying, hey, brother and sister, speak up, open up your mouth, and cry out to America, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Love yourself. Love your neighbor, black and white. That way you can be a part of the platinum rule. Now, I know the golden rule says do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but the platinum rule says love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and your neighbor as yourself. When you put self and God and neighbor and black and white together, you, 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 you doing the platinum rule then. The question is, do you hear God calling you? I hear God agitating my spirit even in the middle of the night. Get up, Jim. Do something about it. Preach a sermon about it. Write a sermon. Write a poem. Uh, like I did the other day, I visited Governor Cooper saying, the, the brothers have been exonerated. There's evidence that they were not justly condemned. Now set him free, but he wants to wait. Go to the, tell the, tell the governor, no governor, don't wait. The longer you wait, the more you jeopardize yourself. Well, anyway, I wish I had a lot of time to preach, but I don't. So, so it looks like 
I just better bring this sermon to a close. But I have one closing experience where I was dead. And then I experienced the ministry of being raised from the dead. May I tell you about that? And then I'll sit down. I was dreaming. And in my dream, I was in Wilmington, North Carolina. I used to pastor there. And in my dream, I was walking down the street and I saw a whole lot of people walking and I, I wonder, where are those people going? So I asked, where are you all going? And they said, oh, Jim Forbes has died. And, um, and we are going to his funeral. I said, what? If you're going to Jim Forbes' funeral, I ought to at least be there. So, excuse me, y'all. So I, uh, I got in the crowd. I went down and um, first of all, I looked over into the casket and sure enough, there he was. The morticians had done a pretty good job on him. So then I viewed, viewed the body and went on back to my seat. And then after a while, the preacher says, the services are over, morticians may please come forward. The morticians came forward, and they, you know how they fuss around, they put the satin and stuff all up in your face and tuck it in nicely and everything. And then they began, they began to, to lower the lid on the coffin. And I sat up in my bed. That's where I was. And I was crying to the top of my voice. I object! What I was saying is, look, God may bring the ministry of raising the dead and you're going to lock me down, get ready to put me in a steel vault and all this stuff. Uh-uh. Don't, 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 don't. Though I have sinned and erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep, though I grew up in a culture that had me thinking that white people were different from black people other than they all human beings together. I, I had grown up in that, uh, but, but, but I thought, who knows? I am not going to get to the place that there's no prospect for meaningful purpose existence. Don't lock me down. I object. Now, as I go back to my seat, perhaps to sit down, whenever I see racism, against black people, brown people, or poor white people, wherever I see economic exploitation, I ask myself, what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this? This is a death-dealing situation. What's wrong with this picture? Then I go back and I say to the Lord, if you want me to do something about it, just show me what to do. I'll, I'll do what I can about this situation. And 
When I get to church, I sing. I, I, I sing about the fact that y'all, this division stuff is over. Y'all, that's over, that's over, that's dead. We are one in your spirit. We are one in your love. Deep within, all around, below and above. There's no one anywhere that's excluded from God's care. Thy will, thy will be done. One in your spirit, one in your love. Every tribe and nation made from one blood, created to glorify one holy name, God of the universe, you love us all the same as I promised you. If God were reaching down today to say, I'm ready to end this mess in America, would you reach out your hand? So right now, it's kind of like an old-time revival where you make an altar call. Would you just raise your hand, Lord? I'm willing to answer your call. Take my life and use me. I surrender all. I will be your faithful servant, consecrated and true. Overshadow me, God, with your spirit, Lord. I will do whatever you want me to do.